Welcome back, everybody, to The Luke Beasley Show. Before we jump into today's news, let me just remind you to be subscribed to the podcast, drop a five-star rating and some sort of review. That would be greatly appreciated. Now let's jump in. A very scary moment happened for Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal in the past days. A man, a presumably deranged man, a lunatic, went outside of her house and was screaming racist and threatening things, threatening to kill her, as well as, as we're about to look at here, making it about her being someone who immigrated here as a kid. And so he was found to have a gun outside of her house, and that, combined with him saying he wanted to kill her, makes for a very frightening situation. So luckily, she did call the police, and she ended up being okay, but super, super scary. If you're not familiar with Pramila Jayapal, she's a progressive congresswoman and a Democrat, obviously. All right, reading from the Washington Post. On Saturday night, Jayapal called 911 to report someone outside her home using obscene language and who may have fired a pellet gun, according to a probable cause statement from Seattle Police obtained by King 5 News. According to the statement, police found outside a 48-year-old man, Jayapal's home, who was standing in the middle of the street with his hands in the air and a 40 caliber Glock 22 handgun holstered on his waist. So the unknown part was the pellet gun thing. That's what made them presumably, well, one of the things they thought they noticed was pellets being shot at their house. That's one thing. But then once the police actually got there, they realized he had a 40 caliber Glock on him. And they were told the police, she heard the suspect yell something like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of this. Something like, go back to India, I'm going to kill you. I don't know why that's hitting me a lot right now. And that she had seen the suspect drive by Jayapal's house three times while yelling profanities, according to the statement. The man was arrested shortly before midnight Saturday, police said. They said the man told them that he knew who lived at the residence and wanted to pitch a tent on the property, the statement said. So, I had read this article already, but for some reason, reading that quote, go back to India, I'm going to kill you, is um really hitting me right now. So, obviously, first off, before we get into my specific feelings on that part of it, just... Knowing that someone is outside of your house with a gun who's screaming that they want to kill you is incredibly terrifying. And I think people have a misconception that Congress people are well protected um, because there are people in power. And we, of course, see like the president and even senators have security. But a lot of these Congress people who are constantly demonized by the right, a lot of these progressive congresswomen specifically, they don't have security. And I'm scared every day for people like Jayapal, for people like AOC, Ilan Omar, all these people who are, who have been made, you know, such figures for what the right hates and demonizes. And so it's so frightening to me that they don't have proper security, uh, to keep them safe. And she's sitting there with her husband, with her family. Uh, I don't know the specifics of her family, but point is she's at home where you should feel safe and someone's out there with a 40, uh, caliber Glock saying he wants to kill you with the means to do so. Incredibly scary. So obviously, as I said, police ended up getting him and Pramila Jayapal and her family are okay. But you can't imagine how scary that is when you know the sentiment that a lot of these crazy people have for individuals like Jayapal. So then to the specific thing about the go back to India um, right before he said, I'm going to kill you. This is why we criticize as progressives and push back against 
people like Tucker Carlson, people like Donald Trump, and all of these right-wingers who constantly make it this us versus them when it comes to people who either were not born here or even just people who were, were born here but look different than what they think of as the good American archetype. It really matters, and it has consequences to the point where you know this guy feels justified and and feels in his right to believe that just because someone immigrated here, I think for Pramila Jalapal is at age 16, they have no less right to be a member of our society and be a representative of our country. If you go through our process, which is very extensive to become a citizen, holy smokes. If you have ever looked at it, I had a person close to me in my life who immigrated and went through a long process to become a legal citizen and it is extensive. I promise you a lot of the citizens, the citizenship tests that they take to become citizens have a lot of questions that native born Americans would not know. Plus, it's just constant round after round of these checks before you actually become a citizen. So if you go through all of that, then heck yeah, you're an American and you have a right to be here. And for her, how amazing of a story is that? She comes here at 16, I think it said for educational purposes, and then rises all the way up to be a congresswoman working to try to make the lives of her constituents better, hopefully. And in her case, she does push for really good policies that would be beneficial to her constituents. And so the idea that someone would hold the opinion of that person doesn't have a right to be here and that person should go back to the country they were born in is just disgusting. And I'm genuinely so sick and tired of it. And y'all know me. I'm super optimistic about the future most of the time and I'm super willing to give people the benefit of the doubt and like try to see the best in, in Americans, even the ones that I disagree with a lot. But this is where I get so viscerally enraged. The idea that people like Jayapal and countless others who exist in our society, most of them honestly didn't even move here this generation, but even if they look like it, if they look like someone who isn't as Tucker Carlson calls a legacy American, which is just a massive racist dog whistle, then they hear sentiments like this expressed. And all of those videos that go viral of what people call Karens, but just people harassing um, others out in public for no reason, it seems like half of the time they go immediately to go back to your country or you're not a real American or whatever. And it makes you realize how many people walk around in our country and see others who don't look like them as less than purely because they don't look like them. And so that's where I get just so upset. I'm going to read the quote to you again one more time. Quote, go back to India. I'm going to kill you. He wants to kill her because she came to America to try to live that American dream that we're so proud of. And she pretty much did it. Came here. She went through all of what she went through, worked hard and became a congresswoman. That should be amazing. Regardless of if you support her policy specifically or if you would vote for her, I think everyone can recognize that's an amazing story. But no, other people see it as not being a, a real legitimate American or whatever. And it's disgusting. And I'm so sick of it. I'm so tired of people feeling like they can express this point of view without being completely outcasted from our society. I promise you, or I want you to know, I guess is a better way to put it, that you are proving yourself to be not as American as everyone else who you probably look down upon, 
whenever you express the opinion that someone else is less than you purely because of where they were born, purely because of the way that they look. Because I was just listening to a historical breakdown, walking through the rise of America and the founding and everything that led up to it and then the years after. And let me tell you, one of the things that makes America unique is the fact that As it said in this podcast I was listening to, America was invented. It was one of the rare countries that was invented. Do you know what I mean by that? People got there and started a new idea, a new concept, rather than it being a long line of historical peoples that developed and changed and one nation formed and then the next and it fell and a new one developed. People arrived here. Of course, we know the devastation that happened because we arrived here, but people arrived here and came up with a new concept of a nation that they wanted to create out of thin air. And that invention of the country we now know as the United States of America came from a bunch of people who immigrated here. Obviously not through a process like immigrating to a formalized country, but they traveled looking for a better life and then they built one. They built a country so that they could have a better life right here. And then all throughout our history, that's how America grew to be what it is now. It's a bunch of people who came from faraway places, sometimes not that far away, but from other places to America, trying to live the American dream, trying to find that truth within the promise that America kept making. And that's what made America what it was. And that's what makes us so unique in our our process becoming who we were or who we are. And so Pramila Jayapal is a beautiful example of that American story. And lunatics like this man who was outside her her house could not be more un-American in their view of the world. Joe Biden is in Saudi Arabia right now, partaking in a pretty controversial trip to meet with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, For the rest of the video, we'll refer to him as MBS. So when you hear me say MBS, that's who we're talking about. And the reason this controversial is because on the campaign trail, Biden responded to the news that U.S. intelligence had confirmed that MBS ordered the execution of a United States journalist, Jamal Khashoggi. And so in the clip I'm about to show you, This was a debate, a Democratic primary debate, where Biden was asked, how would you respond to this? And he had very tough words to say. And so the controversy now is you were so tough towards MBS when you were campaigning and pretending like you were going to make him and the other Saudi Arabian leadership a pariah, but you haven't. Now, the sins, we'll say, of the Saudi Arabian government are far beyond the execution of Jamal Khashoggi. But that obviously hits very close to home because you're killing a United States journalist. But in addition to that, there's tons of things we could go through that the Saudi Arabian leadership, this current government, uh, has done that is horrible, including much of its actions in Yemen. So with all that being said, we'll check in, uh, remind ourselves about this moment from a democratic debate where Biden had tough words to say for MBS and Saudi Arabian leadership. And now, of course, he is doing this trip. And we'll talk about uh, the details of that in just a second here. Vice President, the CIA has concluded that the leader of Saudi Arabia directed the murder of U.S.-based journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The State Department also says the Saudi government is responsible for executing nonviolent offenders and for torture. President Trump has not punished senior Saudi leaders. Would you? Yes. And I said it at the time. Khashoggi was, in fact, murdered and dismembered. And I believe in the order of the crown prince. 
And I would make it very clear, we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. There's very little social redeeming value of the, in the present uh, government in Saudi Arabia. And I- okay, so make them the pariah that they are. So that moment has been played a lot now recently because he is taking a trip to Saudi Arabia. And one of the reasons, um, and specifically met with just recently within the last couple hours, MBS himself. And one of the reasons that he's taking this trip, presumably, is to request more flow of oil from Saudi Arabia. Of course, they are huge in their inventory of oil, we'll say. And because of the issues we're having right now with the gas prices, it seems like one of Biden's strategies is to go get in the good graces of MBS and request that the Saudi Arabian government help us out with this situation. Let's quickly read a little bit more about this from ABC News. Three years after he vowed as a presidential candidate to make Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman a global pariah, President Joe Biden was given a warm reception on Friday in Jeddah as he sat across from Saudi Arabia's de facto leader. So there is a king, but he's not in good health, and the crown prince seems to be, as this article said, the de facto leader. So we'll look at this moment where Biden is entering. Uh, they're taking some COVID precautions, so that's why maybe this fist bump is a little bit more not super, super awkward. But Biden does fist bump MBS. Boom. And then they walk in together. Of course, the whole time that this interaction is going on, journalists are asking biden about what he's gonna do in that meeting to bring up the topic of jamal khashoggi and why he's doing this meeting and all those types of things it looked like at the beginning he wasn't getting a good um sorry the journalists weren't getting a good answer to that question but then after he met with mbs he did eventually address the topic of Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, we'll read from CNN about that. In late night remarks from Jeddah, Biden said that he raised Khashoggi's murder, murder with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the king's de facto ruler, during the meeting. Last year, the U.S. intelligence community had concluded he sanctioned Khashoggi's murder. The Crown Prince had denied involvement. Quote, I raised it at the top of the meeting, making clear what I thought of it at the time and what I think of it now. I was straightforward and direct in discussing it. I made my view crystal clear, Biden said. I said very straightforwardly, for an American president to be silent on the issue of human rights is inconsistent with who you are, with who we are and who I am. I'll always stand up for our values. In response to a reporter's question about how the Crown Prince responded, Biden said he basically said that he was not personally responsible for it. I indicated that I thought he was. So what do I think about all this? Biden going to Saudi Arabia, somewhat trying to kiss up to them so that they'll give us some supply, more supply of oil to try to solve the issue we're dealing with right now with gas prices. As a little side note, gas prices have been going down over the last month, so that's some good news, but obviously they are still very high. I'll say, obviously I recognize that politics and foreign relations is a very complex and multi-dimensional situation. And when you're a leader of a major country, the, you know, the most powerful country in the world being the United States, you're going to have to meet and interact with terrible people. It doesn't mean you're endorsing them. It doesn't mean that you're condoning their actions. But I do think that the level of controversy this is causing is definitely warranted. Because if you're going to go out on the campaign trail and say, I'm going to make them a pariah and I'm going to make it clear that I think the leader of this country murdered, based on U.S. intelligence, 
one of our journalists and dismembered one of our journalists for being critical of his government, then you need to bring that energy with you to the White House. And so the reason I started what I just said with recognizing the complexity of foreign policy is we're going to have to deal with horrible leaders across the world if we want to have any global cohesion and have any sort of multi, you know, dual beneficial relationships with other countries. But then at some point you do have to make your moral principles clear with your interactions with other countries. Um, so how that would manifest itself in this interaction, I think is up to your own opinion. And I do think it is the correct thing to do for Biden to make it clear to MBS's face um, that he is aware that MBS has blood on his hands and that the United States does not stand for that. Um, and I do think there's something a little bit sad and demoralizing about watching the U.S. president go and ha 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 with someone like MBS uh, with all of the heartbreaking and terrible and disastrous things that that government has done. So I guess I don't have like the best conclusion to give you except for here's what's happening. There's understandably a lot of anger and I'm curious to hear what you guys think in response to all of this. As a quick ending to this story, we will watch a Democratic congressman get asked um, on CNN about this meeting and even he voiced how it made him uncomfortable watching the U.S. president uh, have a photo op with MBS. We're back with the breaking news out of Saudi Arabia. President Biden right now meeting with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Let's bring in a Democratic congressman on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Tom Malinowski of New Jersey. Congressman, thanks for your time. You've been consistent about the need for people at the top in Saudi Arabia to be held accountable for that 2018 murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. And as a candidate, as we discussed, Biden vowed to treat Saudi Arabia as a pariah over that killing. That was a campaign promise. And today he's fist bumping MBS. So what do you think changed? Well, President Biden has been completely honest, uh, unlike his predecessor, about Saudi Arabia's responsibility and the responsibility of MBS for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, President Biden cut off the sale of offensive weapons to Saudi Arabia. He got a ceasefire in Yemen, uh, hopefully the beginning of an end to that horrible, bloody war. Um, but I'm, I'm still not entirely comfortable uh, with the image of, of this meeting. Um, look, I think the most important issue right now in the world. Okay, so he gives Biden credit, but not comfortable with this meeting. And I don't think Biden is living up to his promise by doing this. I think if he felt like he absolutely had to have interactions with them, I don't think making a big public affair where he um, meets with them on their turf and happy celebratory energy as they meet one another is how you want to deal with this. That is not the actions of a president who truly condemns another foreign leader for um, or another world leader for murdering a journalist who is based out of the United States. And then just kind of as a, all of this is happening, like as I'm prepping for the show. So that's why there's just a bunch of different moments here. But as they were meeting with one another, a journalist who was asking about Jamal Khashoggi got pulled out of the room. Thank you. Jamal Khashoggi, will you apologize to his family, sir? Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you. President Biden is setting women as no Thank you guys. President Biden. 
Thank you, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, bye. Okay, you couldn't really see it in that video. You could just see MBS's reaction to the question. But NBC's Peter Alexander was the one who was shouting. And apparently the security kind of ushered him out first. But it looks like all of the journalists were being asked to leave at that point. So interesting stuff, controversial stuff. Um, I am curious to see if Biden has any further explanation for what went on with that meeting, why it was so necessary that they met with one another, all those things. And like I said, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts. So don't forget to leave a comment on the video and let me know what you think. There is a massive bombshell, another, there's just countless in all of these uh, January 6th investigations and the surrounding information that's um, coming to surface because of them. And this one is that Secret Service members around January 6th or January 5th, January 6th, deleted texts after those days of texts on that day, which is very concerning. What's the purpose of deleting texts other than to delete the content of them um, because there is some wrongdoing? So let's go ahead and check out uh, from ABC News a little bit about this. Quote, the Secret Service deleted text messages from January 5th and January 6th, 2021 after an internal watchdog requested them as a part of a review of the department's handling of last year's Capitol riot, the watchdog said this week. A letter sent Wednesday by the Department of Homeland Security uh, Office of Inspector General to the heads of the, US, the House and Senate Homeland Security Committees, which was obtained by ABC News, said the messages were deleted as a part of a device replacement program, despite the Inspector General requesting such communications. Quote, first, the department noted, uh, notified us that many U.S. Secret Service text messages from January 5th and 6th, 2021 were erased as part of a device replacement program. I'm not clear on what exactly that means. The USSS erased those text messages after OIG requested records of electronic communications from the USSS as part of our evaluation of events at the Jan uh, at the Capitol on January 6th. So they were deleted. It, it's not clear if it was the individual Secret Service members themselves or some people around. Very, very confusing uh, story thus far, but there's a lot of unknowns and we're about to look at a clip of Representative Jamie Raskin saying we need to get to the bottom of this because clearly there could be something here um, that would be very valuable to the January 6th committee and as uh, in these investigations. Apologies, everybody. So let's quickly take a look at Jamie Raskin's uh, response to this story. And as promised, let's bring in a member of the select committee investigating the January 6th attack, Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland. Congressman, thanks again for being with us. Uh, I want to ask you about this story about the Secret Service accused of deleting text messages could be critical to the investigation of the events surrounding the attack. It was a letter this week to both the House and Senate Homeland Security Committees. DHS Inspector General writing after his office requested full electronic records for an evaluation of the Capitol attack, the Secret Service deleted a significant number of text messages from January 5th and January 6th of 2021. NBC News obtained that letter after The Intercept first reported it. The Secret Service denies the messages were deleted with any malicious intent. So uh, the DHS IG sent this to you all on the committee as well. What more can you tell us about those text messages, why they were deleted, and what you are looking to find in them? Thanks for having me. Look, we don't uh, know anything more than what 
you just reported at this point. Uh, it's obviously an alarming thing to learn that there were Secret Service text messages from January 6th itself and also the day before that were deleted as part of a device replacement program. Uh, we don't know what the facts are, and we're going to get to the facts about why that happened, and we're going to do whatever we can to retrieve the substance of those texts. Um, and you know, fortunately, the chair of our committee, Benny Thompson, is also the chair of the Homeland Security uh, Committee. So he's uh, very well versed in this kind of thing. And we'll get to the bottom of it. OK, fascinating stuff. Why they would feel the need to delete text specifically from January 5th and January 6th when a lot of questionable activity was going on. I don't know. Is it absolutely 100 percent positive? It was malicious. It was something suspicious going on. No, but we should know why they did that and what the content of those texts are. So I'm glad that Jamie Raskin feels like they can get to the bottom of it. And hopefully they do. And hopefully we gain some sort of knowledge from those missing texts. Yesterday, we covered a story about um, this guy, idiot, who harassed AOC sexually as she was entering the Capitol, calling her, his favorite big booty Latina, just absolutely being so disgusting and degrading and obviously sexualizing and all of those things. So as a reminder, this was that moment, but we're going to be looking at this guy going on Marjorie Taylor Greene's show right after. AOC, my favorite big booty Latina. I love you, AOC. You're my favorite. She wants to kill babies, but she's still beautiful. You look very beautiful in that dress. You look very sexy. Look at that booty on AOC. That's my favorite big booty Latina. I love it. My favorite, AOC. Nice to meet you, AOC. Look how sexy she looks in that dress. Woo. So, just oh, so disgusting. Okay, and this is uh, one of the things I said in the video yesterday was just that. Can you imagine how he is with women in his personal life? He's he, he's able to do this to someone walking into the Capitol. How does he treat women? What does he think of women in his personal life? Just horrible. Well, after this, right wing media went to his defense. Ugh. I didn't even know that that would be their angle. I thought they would just ignore the story. But no, they started saying, well, maybe he shouldn't have said that, but she overreacted. Oh my gosh, she's acting like a victim and all this stuff. Just absolutely diminishing how vile it is to be screaming about someone's butt as they're walking in anywhere, as they're doing anything. But... <sighs> The person who will go as low as absolutely necessary. There's no bottom to this person's barrel. Marjorie Taylor Greene had him on her podcast and they talked about how, oh, it wasn't sexual harassment. He was just giving her a compliment. Okay, great. So AOC, who, who was very upset, you know, you're a comedian, you're doing what you do. You're a comedian doing what you do. Sexually harassing people is comedy. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Saying things are actually quite the compliments. I was complimenting. She's Jenny from the block. I mean, J-Lo is known for her voluptuous okay. derriere. And all I was trying to do is say, you look great. I don't know why. And I'm in Texas and you're in Georgia. So we have Southern hospitality. Right. He said he's from Texas. I'm from Texas. Okay. I'm in Texas as we speak right now. Southern hospi hospitality is not saying you're my favorite big booty Latina. That is not what Southern hospitality is, which... <laughs> Oh my gosh. Pretending like this is anything other than, than him sexually harassing her is absolutely false. And uh, acting like it's a compliment that she should be grateful for makes it all, 
you know, just so even more disgusting. That's how we talk. You're a beautiful lady. You are a very beautiful lady. And I, and I don't mean that anything sexual. I'm just saying, I'm just uh, commenting on your... I don't mean that anything sexual when you're saying, ah, look at that booty. Your beauty. I don't think that that, for me, is some sort of negative thing. But they live in a, in a society where compliments are bigotry and based they in racism are. and hate. They are. It is. It's, it's mm. terrible. But... But in our what, how we feel in our culture, where we believe in um, you know two genders. Yeah, no, male, no. There's 17 female. actually now. <laughs> no. that's, that's what some people say. Everything comes back to that in their world. It's bizarre. Which I've not heard a single liberal say there's 17 generals, but okay, or gen genders. I know it's but, insane. <laughs> but no, it's it's. I think women should be confident. And if someone, if a man gives you a compliment, a woman can say thank you. That's a good yeah. thing. Say thank you. Yeah, hey, guess what? Marjorie Taylor Greene wants you to know that if you get sexually harassed on the street by someone you don't know, your response should be thank you. If someone's screaming at you, hey, look at my favorite big booty Latina and overtly sexualizing you, you should be grateful for that. That's what Marjorie Taylor Greene thinks. You should say thank you. Why is AOC getting us so upset? She should have been grateful. She should have tweeted out a appreciation tweet for Alex Stein. Just so vile and later in the interview again this is what passes for right-wing comedy i guess he said oh you know and you remember the george floyd protest which by the way or for some reason he brought up george floyd and then said which george floyd's now two years sober again that oh so that's that's a joke that's your joke that's you doing comedy because listen i i love myself some stand-up comedy i've watched every stand-up uh, comedy special on Netflix, probably joking about how someone's two years sober because they're dead because they were murdered. Um, not funny. So that's the type of guy he is. And that's the type of person that Marjorie Taylor Greene is. Joe Manchin has become the bane of all of our existences. He is someone who seems to find pleasure in trying to prevent good things from happening in our government. And before I get into the story, I just want to say, yes, I know, I know. If you say this to me, I'm going to virtually, in a video game, slap you across the face. But I know that he's one of the rare people who can, who can win in West Virginia. It's a very conservative state. He can have more conservative politics. That doesn't mean that he needs to do the things that he does. Because a great example of this is sinking all of Build Back Better. Yes, he's still popular in West Virginia. Yes, he has a very conservative state. It would not have hurt him to allow that to pass. So I'm saying as a basic moral thing, not is this something he can do and still survive politically? Absolutely. He absolutely can. And yes, I'm glad it's him and not a Republican. So all of those things that people bring up every time you criticize Joe Manchin, shut up. <laughs> but we can recognize when he is single-handedly or in, in uh, you know, unity with Kirsten Cinema, sinking legislation that would absolutely help our world, our country, or just actions that are trying, that are attempted to be taken um, that would absolutely improve people's lives. So we can be mad at him. You can hate Joe Manchin, even though people will scream that, oh, well, you know, if it wasn't him, it'd be a Republican. Yeah. And I think he should have the basic moral compass in his mind to do good things, even if he can still survive politically without doing them. Reading from ABC, Senator, Senator Joe Manchin appears to have torpedoed a cornerstone of President Joe Biden's economic agenda, telling Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer Thursday evening that he won't support moving forward on proposed tax hikes on wealthy Americans and corporations that would pay for a package of climate change and energy policies, at least not right now. 
this according to two aides familiar with the matter. So he says, I'm not going to allow us as a party to follow through on the promises that our power, our party made when running elections in 2020. One of the things that he says so often, so often is, I think, I'm not going to make fun of him. I think that, uh, Wealthy people should pay their fair share. Absolutely. We should raise the taxes on the rich. He says that all the time. But then they say, hey, how about we raise the taxes on the rich? We get some of the wealth from the wealthy and spend it on climate change and energy policies that would help us not only not continue to allow our country to burn, but also, and I mean that obviously figuratively, sort of, I mean, California is literally burning, but we are allowing climate change to do to progress in such a way that's going to cause tons of damage and carnage across the world. And as one of the largest countries in the world, we do have a responsibility to act to help stop that. But also, there is so much industry and jobs and amazing technology that is to be gained through investing in green energy. At some point, the whole world is going to, sh- is going to shift to green energy. Do we want to be on the front lines of that? Or do we want to be buying from other countries all the time. If we invested now in good green energy, we could absolutely be so happy about it later. But Joe Manchin cares more about his own investments in oil, his own campaign contributions, and whatever weird distorted view he has of the world than doing objectively good things. Democrats were hopeful they could move on a slimmed down version of the once sweeping social and economic spending agenda formerly known as Build Back Better before they depart for a month-long August recess. Manchin had agreed to allow Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices, potentially saving the federal government $288 billion and bringing down costs for seniors, in addition to a two-year extension of pandemic-era premium subsidies for lower-income Americans enrolled in Obamacare. But Manchin, a West Virginia Democrat who has for months warned of deep concerns about record high inflation and the effects of more federal spending effectively shelved tax and climate change reforms until he sees data on July inflation rates due out early next month. You know what helps? You know what would help with inflation? Taxing the people who have the most money at the top. If we're so worried there's too much money in our economy, all right, let's take it away from those at the top. Sounds good to me. Of course, he'll give an excuse. He'll say it's because of inflation. But guess what? Before we were experiencing such bad inflation, he wasn't for these good programs either. Each step of the way, he's had some explanation for why, but he's pushed back the chance over and over and said, not right now, not right now. That is what he sits there to do. Say not right now to good things because you as an American, according to Joe Manchin, do not deserve clean air, clean water, good jobs, a good economy and good green energy sources. You don't deserve that right now. It makes me so angry. Um, and I think anything that we could do to put pressure on him will absolutely or absolutely should be done. But it seems like because he knows he won't be damaged politically in West Virginia, West Virginia for a number of reasons, he's totally okay watching our earth slowly die at a rate that it absolutely would not have to be if he would just step up and act, as well as watch countless people's lives not be improved because of his actions. That concludes today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review, and I'll see you tomorrow.